1: In this economy, are you making the money you could be making? Welcome to High Yield with your hosts, Frank Rolfe and Dave Reynolds. The old ways don't work anymore, so let Frank and Dave help you find new high-yielding opportunities. You can start by tuning in for the next hour. Now, here's Frank Rolfe and Dave Reynolds.
0: Welcome to High Yield. Uh, This week, we're again exploring starting your own business and how to have a high-yield in that in a troubled economy. Uh, this is part two of this series, and the reason we devoted two parts to it is it's something that Dave and I feel very strongly about. I think it's a great opportunity for almost everybody to maximize their potential and time and income. So this week, we're going to start off with some negative stuff. You know, last week, we talked about what it was like to be an entrepreneur and uh, the benefits of starting your own business. We're going to start off today with a reality check. We're going to talk about the stuff that's not fun about starting your own business. And uh, the first one we have on there is is basically, you know, one of the first adjustments you make when you start your own business is you do not receive a formal paycheck. So you suddenly are in charge of all the finances. You know, when you work for somebody else, they worry about it, and you only worry about, hey, where's my paycheck? When you start a business, suddenly you have to worry about, hey, where's the money to pay myself? And for some people that can be a real problem because the, that that constant – worry about, you know, will I have the money to pay the bills, the money to pay myself, that that can be a real problem for somebody. So, so that's one item that you have to consider when you start your own business.
2: Right. And, you know, typically what we suggest is that, you know, if you have a, you know, current job, you know, you got a, you know, eight to five job and you're, you're getting a paycheck, you know, the, the first thing you probably don't want to do is just immediately quit that job and, you know, go start a business and, you know, start from scratch. You know, you can, you know you start a business and you know you know, okay, actually add a stream of income, test it out a little bit you know you know in the early morning or you know after your other job um, so you're not you know putting all your eggs in one basket there
0: yeah, and that's a great point Dave because again we, you know we're, we're the first people to say don't don't quit your day job you know uh, uh, augment it, supplement it you know let, let something else grow into into something that's big enough to carry you and then, Quit your day job. But a lot of, one thing a lot of people make a mistake on is when they start a business is they've already got a decent job that pays all their bills, gives them peace of mind, but they, for some bizarre reason, rather than because they hate their job or for whatever the case may be, they, they quit that nice, stable income stream that's a terrible thing to do when you start a business because, you, you know, if you already have that, that nice, safe way to stay afloat, the last thing you want to do is jump out of that giant yacht, you know, into your little inflatable life raft, you know, you'd rather... Can you stay on your giant yacht while you build in your backyard another equally decent yacht, and then step onto that. So that's a great point, Dave. Right. So the next
2: uh, item is risk, and you know, particularly you know, if you're out there and you're starting a business and you have to, you know, go, go get a loan for startup capital, or you're going out there and leasing equipment and you're having to personally sign your your own name to you know get that lease. Um, you know, you do have that extra risk, you know, when you start a business. You know, you can typically keep that to a minimum. You know, you don't want to go out there and, you know, borrow a huge amount of money just, you know, on something that's not proven. You know, you want to start more so with, you know, let's put your sweat equity in it, you know, grow grow slowly and, you know, test it out before you, you know, go crazy. But, um, you know, it does have more risk, you know, when you, you know, you have to get a loan out there.
0: Right. And then the next is fear of failure in this. Ties into an article I read recently. I think it was an AARP magazine of all bizarre places, but it talked about how uh, people fall into different categories, and they use it. They they call it big T or little T. The T standing for thrill. And they found in studies that the people who have, you know, at, at the end of their life, the, the the feeling of the most satisfied life, the people who take more risk. They call those those people big T positive. Now the people who who End up having a, a bad life, have big T negative, which is where they they're, they they take lots of risk, but it's all very negative risk, like gambling, uh, breaking the law, things like that. And then you have other folks out there who are afraid to take the, the big risks, and they are a little, little T. And you know the, the 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 bulk of the article was about the fact that most people are best off if they take a good healthy dose of risk, which satisfies that thrill factor uh now you know fear, fear of failure is something that's ever present in everything we do whether it's playing a sport it could just be in your performance in your regular job as a salesman but you don't want to let fear of failure hold you back that that's one negative that's that's never allowable to to or, or shouldn't be the guy that keeps you from starting a business but fear of failure is definitely something you have to be aware of and 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 come to grips with right and
2: you know just you know as a in addition to that fear of failure thing, you know one of the things that we do is you know we you know mentor people you know how to get in the mobile home park business and you know I can think of several people that have you know you know purchased our various books and you know courses and you know went to boot camps and all of that and you know they 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 they've been looking now for three or four years to buy a mobile home park and you know they've actually come up with some pretty good deals and you know they just have not been able to make that you know that leap into the business because they're f- they're afraid to actually do it. You know even though they have a good deal and and uh, you know you know have everything that should work for them. You know it fits in great with what they're looking to do. You know they just can't you know can't sign on the dotted line and actually go through with you know buying something.
0: Right. And you know fear, fear of failure is totally natural. Everyone has it. Uh The key. What one way I try and conquer it. I don't know about you, Dave. I look at what the worst case scenario could be and then work backwards from there. And if I can survive my worst case scenario, then I'm not too worried about it. Right. So, yeah, that's a good uh, way to do it. You know, I'm not, but I, I'm, I'm, I'd be the first guy who, who would not gamble everything on anything. So I wouldn't, you know, I, I, I would not take everything I own and put it on, you know, Black 63 at the Riverboat Casino or something. But I look at, you know, what, what, what could happen to me if I start this business, for example, and if, the The worst downside I have would be you know having to you know uh, you know lose a thousand dollars and and tell people didn't work out that that's not too bad. So a lot of times you can conquer your fear by fear by just quantifying what the fear is. right And so
2: the next item you know is uh, you know you know the I, actually this works both ways. you know last week we talked about you know that's a benefit to be able to office out of your own home in many cases, you know which both of us do. Um, But it can also be a, you know, negative thing is, you know, not only can you, you know, sometimes get so distracted, you know, if you don't have your office and have a separation, you know, you might have your kids or, you know, spouse or whoever, you know, jumping in at all times of the day just because you're at home and so you have to have some separation there um, and so you have to be able to focus. And, you know, that, that could actually work, you know, another way too is where you have that office there and you can actually spend too much time there because it's just too easy to go to the office and, you know, kind of ignore the rest of your life. So
0: that right. it kind of works
2: both ways. So.
0: Yeah, and that's definitely something that, that, uh, that anyone who offers the other home has to get in a, in a careful balance with. You know, you have, to, you have to have business time and also non-business time, or as Dave says, sometimes people just retreat into their office and never come out for any reason. And that's not very healthy. Right. And, yeah. I, I think we've uh, both uh, been down that road, Frank. Absolutely. I, I admit I am guilty. Guilty as charged on that. Right. Uh, and then other times people don't give it enough seriousness. So when they go in their office, they just screw around and don't don't see that as being a place of business, but more just a place of refuge to play video games or something. So, you know, you have to have to take it somewhat seriously. Uh, next up to bat would be the lack of personal interaction. Because, you know, one, one big adjustment when you start a business is you don't have any employees normally, so you're completely on your own. And that's, uh, that can be a little different for many people because they're used to having people around and, hey, how's it going? And hey, let's go to lunch. And suddenly, let's go to lunch is just you by yourself. And if you say, hey, how's it going? You're, you're basically just talking to yourself. So, uh, you know, that, that can be an adjustment. It's one that, you know, I think a lot of people have maybe more of that loner Genetics, I do, so I, I don't mind being by myself at all. Uh, but if you're a people person and you can't get your people person time in through sales or, or talking to people on the phone or talking to your customers, then that also could also be a problem.
2: Right. Um, next item is you know actually getting the capital to start your business, and you know with, with this item, you know, you know first of all, you know we we don't recommend you go out there and you know you know want to start a you know You know, some consulting business or something, and go borrow you know hundred thousand dollars to, you know, deck your office out so you know it has every latest gadget and everything. So you know, most businesses can be start you know started with you know very little money, you know unless you're buying a franchise or something like that, which you know could be good, but you know the the ability to get your capital, you know that. Is a you know something that you have to really you know really have a plan for you know I know my first business that you know I started where I needed a lot of capital I actually used credit cards to start it and it's not something that I would actually recommend somebody else doing but you know it was one way that I was able to start a business but you know there's you know a lot of different sources out there you know depending on what type of business and you know you're going to start you know you can go from you know, credit cards to local bank loans, SBA loans, you know, you know, venture capital, you know, private money, family members, you know, there's all kinds of places you can, you know, get, you know, a little bit of starting capital. And, um, you know, the idea is just not to go crazy at the beginning.
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah. In fact, uh, David, I don't know about you, but I, I can often tell when someone's business will fail because they'll tell you in great detail their first steps are out to look at office space, mm-hmm. copy machines, Things like that. Those, those should be the last things when you're starting a business you should worry about. But they're they're so into the show of having their own business more than the reality of trying to make the thing work. Um, the, next up to bat is, is not having a whole lot of free time. Again, this can be a plus for many people. It's a plus for me because I, I get bored really easily. But if you are in a 9-to-5 job and you absolutely savor the flavor of getting off at five and not having to worry in the world and having all day Saturday and Sunday off and maybe some, some vacation time in addition. You know, starting a business m- may not work for you if that's, if, if that's your goal is to simply live for the weekend. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it, but you just need to identify that up front because, you know, starting a business is a lot more time intensive than working for someone. Now that's not if you're starting a hobby business. In other words, if, if you've got a, a day job and you're trying to start a, you know, a, a night job, uh, you know, but again, it, it all takes time. And So even under that scenario, you will have less free time. So I guess right. the question is, you know, are you willing to sacrifice your free time for more income and maybe more personal gratification? I mean, I am. So, uh, and, and most of the folks I know, I think Dave is in the same boat. Uh, we're, we're, we don't really savor the flavor of free time that much. Now, that's not to say you don't need some, because you definitely do. Uh, but you know, when you start a business, there's no question that by starting the business, you are giving up some of your time.
2: Okay. Well, we need to go to our first break here, so we'll uh, you know be back here shortly to you know finish this list off and you know jump over to the next one and you know
0: you know stay tuned. All right. Sounds great.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. If you are looking for the highest yielding niches in real estate, then go to Commercial Real Estate University at creuniversity.com. This website is devoted to exploring the few niches of real estate that can still generate 20% plus returns on your money and offers you college-quality courses on how to locate, evaluate, negotiate, perform due diligence on, finance, turn around, and operate the hottest sectors of real estate today. Mobile home parks, billboards, RV parks, and self-storage. All of the materials are written and produced by Frank Rolfe and Dave Reynolds based on their experiences in over $150 million of real estate bought and sold. If you're looking for real estate investments that make more than low single digits, and if you're looking for 100% facts with no sales pitch, then go to CREUniversity.com or call 800 950 1364. That number again is 800 950 1364. Or visit the website at CREUniversity.com.
3: The affordability gap in this country is considerable. There are simply not enough affordable places to live for the millions of lowest-income households. Jeff Mueller of Marcus & Millichap is one of the nation's top manufactured housing community brokers. As a specialist in the manufactured housing industry, please contact Jeff Mueller to help capitalize on the growing demand of affordable housing. Whether you're an investor looking to achieve double-digit returns or an owner considering expanding your position through a tax-deferred exchange, Jeff Mueller can help. Please call Jeff at 303-328-2049. That's 303-328-2049. Hi,
4: I'm Kurt Kelly, president of Mobile Insurance. Mobile is a specialty investment property insurance agency. Parks, self-storage facilities, rental properties, commercial buildings. We offer the coverage you need explained clearly and low rates. Call us at 800-458-4320 or visit us at mobileagency.com because we understand how to insure investment properties.
1: business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network you're listening to high yield with frank rolfe and dave reynolds if you have a question or comment about our program this week please call in to 1-866-472-5790 that's one eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero, Or you can send an email to frank.rolf at gmail.com. Now, back to High Yield.
0: Welcome back to High Yield. Uh, we're, we're today talking yet again. This is the second in a two-part episode on starting your own business. We're talking initially about some negatives. Last week it was all positives. Today we want to just give you some things to think about that might be negative, to make sure you make the right decision if you do start a business. And the, the last point we have on that list is uh, is having to do some duties you hate because uh, as, a, as a small business owner, as a startup business guy, you have to do uh, some things that you don't really like to do. You know, when you're in a regular day job, you can avoid some issues. You know, if you are in a certain little niche, if you're an accountant, you don't have to do any sales. But in a startup, you have to do it all. So... Uh, there are some things out there you may not like to do.
2: For sure. And, you know, one of the, you know, one of the things that, you know, you know, I, I found that I don't like to do is, you know, give away, you know, the, the reins to other people. And, you know, as you grow your small business, you're, you know, you're having to, you know, even though you may be a great accounting person, you have to, you know, spend your time on growing the business rather than just maintaining it. And, you know, so, not only will you, you know, sometimes have to do things you don't want to do, you know, sometimes you're going to have to pass along things that you shouldn't be doing to other people. So it kind of works both ways there as well. Right, exactly.
0: Okay, well, now we're going to go on to a uh, – we're going to talk about the, some famous stories of people who started businesses.
3: <clears throat>
0: and uh, I, I've been reading biographies on business for at least 40 years now. And I thought I would just go through a quick list here. Uh, Dave also reads biographies as well, so if he wants to jump into any of these, he's more than more than happy to. Um, but just go through some some of the uh, great business startups in history, what the lessons were learned were, uh, just because they're kind of fascinating. The first is McDonald's. You know, many people, myself included, probably drive through the Golden Arch drive-through at least once a day with my daughter and/or her basketball or volleyball team. But, you know, the true story of McDonald's is it was uh, basically a guy who sold milkshake machines as a day job. He worked for somebody, and he had one customer buying more milkshake machines than any other. And It was two brothers called the McDonald's brothers in California. And whereas he was selling most restaurants, machines that would make one or two milkshakes, he, they had the capacity to make seven or ten milkshakes at one time. And he became fascinated with why they had the ability to do so much food production compared to all of his other clients. And so the more he talked to the McDonald's brothers and saw how their business worked, he, he loved the idea of basically standardizing and producing food quickly. You know, at that time, food was processed at most restaurants when you pulled in is when they put the hamburger on the grill. The McDonald's brothers had... had devised a new program where they kind of bet that you would come there so straight around at lunch they just started grilling a million burgers hoping that people showed up in enough quantity to to make it happen so he was really the father of fast food but he you know he didn't start McDonald's until very late in life he was like in his late 40s or 50 when he when he actually started McDonald's and it basically grew as kind of an experiment out of his out of his day job as a milkshake um, salesman so There's a McDonald's story. Wendy's story, uh, Dave Thomas, who also initially founded Kentucky Fried Chicken, sold it and retired and then was totally bored out of his brain. And so he wanted to build a better burger than McDonald's. And he named the chain after his daughter Wendy, and that's where Wendy's came from. Uh, So in his case, his, his business model was just trying to build a better burger and, secondly, to have fun with it. You know, Dave and I are talking about the fun you can have starting a business. Well... There's a perfect example. Dave Thomas, multimillionaire, former originator of Kentucky Fried Chicken, who gets bored with his life, bored with hanging around country clubs and nothing to do, and he decides to start Wendy's. Uh, third is Walmart. I'm sure everyone knows the story of Sam Walton, so I think the, the most important or interesting tidbit from the Walmart story is the fact that he, to reduce his risk, started in small towns and tried to stay in small towns as long as he could. He only came into the city and took on the city com- competitors, such as Kmart, later on in his career. But initially, he was all about small towns. And I think the lesson learned on that was he was trying to deliberately reduce his risk. And when we're talking about you wanted to stay risk-averse. That's what he was doing. And by being risk-averse, he built a very, very large base that later supported his inroads into the big cities, whereas if he had started in the cities, by his own admission, he might not have succeeded, and there might not be a Walmart today. Uh, fourth, fourth interesting bio is, Fed, is Fred Smith over at Federal Express. And we all know what Federal Express is, but when Federal Express started, they ran short of money nearing the end of the startup before the thing took off. And so one day he could no longer pay the payroll. So he had the last money he had in the whole wide world, which came from a series of loans from different private equity groups, but he could not pay his payroll. So he had two choices. He could either not pay the payroll, declare bankruptcy and shut down and lose everything, or he could find a way overnight to make that money grow into enough to cover the payroll. So what he did was he took a Federal Express jet and he flew to a casino and he played blackjack all night. And apparently he had played blackjack prior as a hobby and was fairly decent at it and unbelievably won enough in blackjack to cover Federal Express's payroll and that was the final pay period that they did not have enough revenue to cover. So basically, had he lost in blackjack that night, there would be no Federal Express today. Uh, next up would be Dell Computer, which is the story of a, of a University of Texas student, Michael Dell, who builds computers as a part-time job in his dorm room at UT, which later, of course, becomes the, what is, so I don't know if right now, Dave, if they're the largest computer maker or not, but they're close to in the personal computing world, it's Dell Computer. basically start out just as a guy in his dorm room. Uh, you've got Apple Computer, which again was Steve Jobs starting up in his garage, kind of as a part time thing, just a fun thing, you know, hanging out with other computer nerd people, building computers, and that of course grew into the Apple that we know today.
2: Right. Uh, What I would mention about, you know, both Dell and Apple and you could even lump like Google in there is you know, those were just basic you know those were startups that were just labor you know they weren't you didn't go out and get a huge loan to start your business you know it was just labor and you know sweat sweat equity for the most part
0: I right, know you're exactly correct uh, next up would be Henry Ford you know Henry Ford kind of a strange guy but he uh, he invented the assembly line which uh, he was able to couple the assembly line concept into making automobiles which back before that were made pretty much by hobbyists in their garage uh, Next up is John Rockefeller. That's an interesting book if you've not read about old John Rockefeller because, you know, you think it's going to be a story about oil because that's uh, what he was famous for by founding Standard Oil, but it's really a story about shipping because the way he was able, you know, oil back in those days was not a very valuable commodity. Not like today because there were no cars when Rockefeller started oil up back in the 1800s. So, you know, oil was used to heat. And it was used in some products, but it was nothing like it is today as far as demand or anything else. But what he realized is that what made oil companies make money or lose money was how much they paid railroads to ship their oil. So he totally focused on becoming the the kingpin of railroad oil shipping. And once he got these lower rates on his shipping, he was able to crush his competitors by selling his oil cheaper than they could which allowed him to, to basically end up with a monopoly in the form of Standard Oil, but it was really all about railroad shipping, which I thought was kind of interesting. As Dave just mentioned, Facebook and Google, everyone knows the stories of Mark Zuckerberg and who are the Google guys, Dave, Sergey something, and I don't even know their names. Yeah. But, but, but again, as Dave said, you know, they had, had an idea, and it was not capital intensive. The neat thing about these tech businesses are they don't require lots of cash, they require just lots of, of manpower and brain power. And, uh, and, you know, here Facebook and Google today are two of the most valuable businesses in, in America. They, they, they weren't even around, I don't know what day, 20 years ago. And, you know, it's kind of crazy that they would be able to leapfrog over all these giant businesses that have, have expended billions and billions of capital infrastructure like IBM. And these people just start these things up and, and now have businesses worth more than, more than that, which is amazing. In fact, even going back to Apple, I mean, Apple, I believe, right now is the, is, is the most valued U.S. company, which is kind of crazy, right? Sure. I mean when you think about it, uh, next is Mary Kay. Mary Kay Cosmetics. That 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 is an interesting story, simply because the woman just would not give up. You know, she 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 is going nowhere. She is a single mom, I believe, uh, and trying to make a living, trying to figure out something and start selling cosmetics to her friends and family and ends up going door to door and really it's just a story of someone who's just persistent as all get out and kind of found the the uh, you know the door to door selling business for cosmetics. Uh next is Jenny Craig, she did the same thing with basically with weight loss. You know, she was a very struggling single parent uh having great difficulty making ends meet and she came up with this idea of, of weight loss using, you know, prepackaged foods. And over time, grew that thing into a, uh, you know, a fairly large colossus, which definitely pays all of her bills. Uh, but it really was early on, if you read the book, just a, a story of desperation of somebody who was trying to figure out how to make some extra money and just, uh, you know, ultimately grew into something large. And, and then our last one is, is possibly you, whoever's on this call. You know, you, you could be the next large business. You know, people don't always think that way. But it's totally true that all those folks I just named, every single one from Steve Jobs to to Sam Walton, they, they never dreamed their business would be as big as it was. They, you know, they, they were all just initially startups, just like yours might be, writing on a sheet of paper what your ideas are. And, you know, they were just luckier than most. Their Their startup just blossomed. Maybe their timing was great, you know. But nevertheless, you know the, the next big one could be you. There's no reason why why it could not be you. Uh, that's just the way it works. So, uh, okay, well we're gonna we're gonna go into our next break here. When we get back, we're gonna start talking about more concretely some of the points you need to consider when starting a business. So we'll be right back in a minute.
1: If you are looking for the highest-yielding niches in real estate, then go to Commercial Real Estate University at creuniversity.com. This website is devoted to exploring the few niches of real estate that can still generate 20%-plus returns on your money and offers you college-quality courses on how to locate, evaluate, negotiate, perform due diligence on, finance, turn around, and operate The hottest sectors of real estate today. Mobile home parks, billboards, RV parks, and self-storage. All of the materials are written and produced by Frank Rolfe and Dave Reynolds based on their experiences in over $150 million of real estate bought and sold. If you're looking for real estate investments that make more than low single digits, and if you're looking for 100% facts with no sales pitch, then go to CREUniversity.com or call 800-950-1364 that number again is 800-950-1364 or visit the website at CREUniversity.com
4: Hi I'm Kurt Kelly, President of Mobile Insurance. Mobile is a specialty investment property insurance agency. Parks, self-storage facilities, rental properties, commercial buildings. We offer the coverage you need explained clearly and low rates, call us at 800-458-4320 or visit us at mobileagency.com because we understand how to ensure investment properties.
3: The affordability gap in this country is considerable. There are simply not enough affordable places to live for the millions of lowest income households. Jeff Mueller of Marcus & Millichap is one of the nation's top manufactured housing community brokers. As a specialist in the manufactured housing industry, please contact Jeff Mueller to help capitalize on the growing demand of affordable housing. Whether you're an investor looking to achieve double-digit returns or an owner considering expanding your position through a tax-deferred exchange, Jeff Mueller can help. Please call Jeff at 303-328-2049. That's 303-328-2049.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to High Yield with Frank Rolfe and Dave Reynolds. If you have a question or comment about our program this week, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can send an email to frank.rolf at gmail.com. Now, back to
0: High Yield. Welcome back to High Yield, the show that explores the great things you can do in a troubled America for a high yield and this week and last week, we've been covering starting your own business. This is a very hot topic. It's something very important to Dave and I, as we've done it a million times. And we think it's a great opportunity for just about every American to uh, improve their income and security and basically have lots of fun. So we've talked kind of in general terms for last show and so far this show of what starting a business is like and things to worry about and watch over. But now we're going to start uh, talking about some more concrete points and Basically, the, we're going to cover basically the five points that we feel are the most important for a startup to succeed. And the first point we have is writing a winning business model. And what a what a business model is, uh, you you when you start a business, you got to have a concept that's more than just an idea, like hey, I want to build, a, you know, a skinnier watch. I mean you've got to have something a little more detailed than that. So a a you know a business plan, a business model basically is something that shows beginning to end how the whole thing's going to work. You know, so if you're going to build a skinnier watch, you know, where will the engineering come to build it? What will it cost per unit to to make it? How will you advertise it? How will you sell it? How will you, will you pay the bills while you're making it and selling it? And then ultimately, what kind of profit can it produce? And, you know, most businesses that fail, maybe the ideas weren't terrible, but they had just a terrible business plan. That, that You see that all the time. Um, or someone had just a, a great business plan but a terrible idea. But, you know, the, the, the businesses that, that stick, and out of that list I gave you a moment ago from Walmart to Apple all the way down, one thing all those guys had in common is they had a really good – business plan. I mean they, they had they had not only a great idea but they coupled that with a with a great action plan that they knew they could win with, they knew they could pay the bills on. For example, going back to, you know, Steve Jobs, you know, I'm sure that he didn't dream initially of of building computers in his garage, right? I mean garages are dark and damp, but you know, he probably knew just just, you know, from a reality perspective that going out and getting a a fancy manufacturing plant that early stage in the story of Apple was not a doable idea. And in fact, had he done that, if he had gone out and rented an expensive building and not been able to make enough money building his little computers to to pay the rent at that time, he probably would have shut down and there would be no Apple. He would have gotten a, you know, a regular day job somewhere at, you know, selling a product at an appliance store or something. And there would be, no, no story of Steve Jobs and no story of Apple Computer. So, uh, you know, one of the first building blocks of any successful startup would have to be, you know, a winning business plan. Now, that's one reason a lot of people venture into franchises is because the franchise, more than anything else, gives them a business plan that has at least supposedly been successful in the past for others. The only problem with franchises, is you'll see if you look at franchises for sale, is they're very, very expensive normally. So for most people, they would be priced out of starting a business if they, if they had to totally rely just on franchises. But, right. you know, it's you know, a model. Go ahead.
2: Oh, yeah, I was going to say, you know, as far, as far as franchises go, you know, they, they do have a very, very detailed business plan, but what they also have is a very detailed operations plan. So, you know, basically a way a franchise is set up is, you know, they can basically take anybody off the street that, you know, is motivated and is actually going to follow instructions and, you know, give them their, you know, franchise instructions and, you know, basically they can run with it. You know, it's everything's done and, you know, just, you know, it's ready to go. You know, you just, you know, take over and and run the franchise. So, you know, not only do you have to have that really good business plan, but, you know, as you grow your business, you need to create a really good operations plan And, you know, so that, you know, as you grow and, you know, you hire new people, you actually have, you know, something for them to follow or you you can't train everybody on every single thing, every time, you know, in person.
0: Right. In fact, uh, you know, I had dinner last night with the old basketball team at Culver's restaurant over in uh, Farmington, Missouri. Culver's is a, you know, kind of a startup. It's one of the newer of the fast food family of restaurants. So you go into Culver's and, you know, here's this restaurant and it's, being operated for the most part. I mean, I saw one adult in there, but basically everybody in that place is in high school, right? And, and yet the place is clean. The, the music is the correct loudness. The food is tasty. I mean, it's a great dining experience, but you're looking around at that as a, from a business perspective going, how in the world does this happen? Because here you have all these high school students who, you know, their, their dream is not to work at Culver's. I only saw one adult in there. So what they've done is they've obviously got really good systems. I mean, whoever's cooking the food, you know, whoever's making the old patty melt, they've got some kind of manual, some kind of timer that says cook it for, you know, 33 seconds on that side, now add the onions. The people out there in the cash register, they've obviously automated the register with little buttons of every menu item so they always get your thing correct. They've trained them to be cheery and happy, but... You know, it's it's remarkable that you can take and build systems and as Dave says operating systems so successfully that you can take a bunch of high schoolers who are, you know, daydreaming about, you know, their date later that night or the football game and actually pull off a business like that. So again, you you've gotta have a winning business you know, model, winning business plan to make it as a startup.
2: For sure. And you know, one of the one of the big things, um, you know, that you know, when you're writing your plan, um, you know, you have to Create a budget and, and, you know, all those different things and you actually be real realistic and really spend some time creating that budget. but, um, but one of the, you know, most important parts of that budget is, uh, you need to figure out what the cost is to acquire a customer. You know, if you're gonna sell, you know, you know, like, you know, skinny watches and, you know, maybe you're gonna sell them for, you know, $100 a, a piece, you know, you have to make sure that, you know, not only does your manufacturing and, sales and overhead and you know all those type of things cover that hundred dollars you know, and leave a profit but you know for you to go out there and actually acquire those customers you know if it's going to cost you more 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 to acquire the customer than it, you actually sell the product for your business is basically doomed for failure so um, you know one of my my favorite TV shows um, I actually watch it with my kids and they love it and you know I love it it's uh, called Shark Tank and you know you can you know, you know, you watch it for entertainment, but there's a lot of good lessons, and you can learn 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 a lot from watching that show. Is you know, one of the most important questions that you know the people that are you know looking to invest or lend money on that business are are always going to ask is uh, you know what I think actually two things. You know, one is you know what is the cost to acquire a customer. Um, you know, what is the cost for you know the actual production of of whatever you're you're making or selling. And actually the third thing is you know how do you scale that business you know if you know what I've seen most of these uh, people that go on that sh- you know that show Shark Tank is that if they they can't scale their business um you know let let's just say somebody goes on there and wants to you know do private you know boat rides with you know in you know they have to and they're the entertainment and they're selling people on that entertainment and they can't really scale that because they can't be on you know ten different boats at once. So the idea there is that you have to look, you know, if you want to grow a business, you have to be able to scale that and, you know, put other people, you, you, you can't be all about you, um, you know, growing that business. It has to be able to be delegated out to other people so you can actually grow and, you know, expand that business and, you know, ultimately, like we'll talk about in a minute is, you know, be able to exit and sell the business.
0: Right, exactly correct. Uh, our, our next point is basically, we're titled the sell, sell, sell. It means that, for any startup, it's absolutely essential <clears throat> that you make sales because without sales, you have no revenue. So if you have the greatest product in the world, but you can't sell it, then there's no point in even making the product. So in any startup, you know one, one key item, one of these five key items you have to watch over are your sales. You know at, at all times. You know just with what Dave and I do, we, we all the time are wondering, you know, what are our sales? Are our sales up? Are our sales down? What can we do to improve our sales? You, you cannot have a successful startup and not have a consistent curiosity and emphasis on sales. Because without sales, you've got no money. And without mo- any money, you're, you're out of business. And uh, you know if, if, if sales is not your forte on your startup, you know, you've got to either force yourself to, to get better at it, which you can. There's lots of books on salesmanship you can read and videos and things like that. Or there's been many a successful business based on the fact of, uh, you know, even a partnership of two people, one person really heavily into sales. Because, you know, you just, you, there's never in history been a successful business that did not have sales as a big component. So you've, you've, you've got to sell, sell, sell is the second point in having a good business.
2: For sure. And then, you know, the third point, you know, which we label as cut, cut, cut is, you know, basically you need to, you know, anywhere you can, you know, if, if you have these excess expenses, and this is really, you know, you know, when you're starting out the business is, you've, you've gotta, you've gotta keep your expenses down. You know, there's, you know, we've all heard the, the term, you know, you've gotta spend money to make money, um but you don't really have to spend unnecessary money to make money. You know, if you're, if you're, you know, just want to buy that fancy copier because, you know, it kicks out, you know, 50 pages more per minute, you know it's probably you know not something that is absolutely necessary when you're starting out um you know but you know there's certain things you have to spend money on, but you know you know one of our biggest strategies on some of the you know real estate investments we do is you know we basically go in and we look for you know lots of places where we can cut you know cut our expenses, and you know actually sometimes that's the whole the whole you know process of how we turn around a property is just cutting expenses and you know reallocating you know you know, how, how the properties ran.
0: Right. I mean, you have to be always thinking about, you know, what's the cheapest way I can do this, not what's the most expensive, right? So, you know, a lot of people, when they start a business, they get so into the ego portion of it, they lose focus on the on the fact you want to keep everything as cheap as you humanly can. And, you know, a startup that's failing often because what they call a turnaround. One of the top turnaround guys in the U.S. is named, I think he may be dead now, was named Al Dunlap, and they called him Chainsaw Al Dunlap. And... Why they called him Chainsaw was he was totally focused on cutting every cost that could humanly be cut. Be cut. So, you know, if, if the office was using the big pens at $0.69, cents, he'd, he'd go out by $0.47 cent pens to offset that. All right, well, we're going to go to break, and we'll be back with some more points on starting your business here on High Yield.
1: voice america business network the bottom line in business if you are looking for the highest yielding niches in real estate then go to commercial real estate university at creuniversity.com this website is devoted to exploring the few niches of real estate that can still generate 20 percent plus returns on your money and offers you college-quality courses on how to locate, evaluate, negotiate, perform due diligence on, finance, turn around, and operate the hottest sectors of real estate today. Mobile home parks, billboards, RV parks, and self-storage. All of the materials are written and produced by Frank Rolfe and Dave Reynolds based on their experiences in over $150 million of real estate bought and sold. If you're looking for real estate investments that make more than low single digits, and if you're looking for 100% facts with no sales pitch, then go to CREUniversity.com or call 800 950 1364. That number again is 800 950 1364. Or visit the website at CREUniversity.com.
3: The affordability gap in this country is considerable. There are simply not enough affordable places to live for the millions of lowest-income households. Jeff Mueller of Marcus & Millichap is one of the nation's top manufactured housing community brokers. As a specialist in the manufactured housing industry, please contact Jeff Mueller to help capitalize on the growing demand of affordable housing. Whether you're an investor looking to achieve double-digit returns or an owner considering expanding your position through a tax-deferred exchange, Jeff Mueller can help. Please call Jeff at 303-328-2049. That's 303-328-2049. Hi, I'm Kurt Kelly,
4: President of Mobile Insurance. Mobile is a specialty investment property insurance agency. Parks, self-storage facilities, rental properties, commercial buildings. We offer the coverage you need explained clearly and low rates. Call us at 800-458-4320 or visit us at mobileagency.com because we understand how to insure investment properties.
1: When it comes to business,
4: you'll find the experts here.
1: Voice America Business Network. You're listening to High Yield with Frank Rolfe and Dave Reynolds. If you have a question or comment about our program this week, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can send an email to frank.com dot
0: Rolf at gmail.com. now back to high yield welcome back to high yield today we're going over the uh, second of a two-part series on starting your own business as a way to having a high yield in a bad economy and right now we're talking about the five most important points to any successful startup business we've gone over building a winning business plan selling and now we're into cutting or basically cutting expense and really that's it's more of a mental thing than anything else. It's just trying to keep on top of the fact that you want to keep your costs as low as you humanly can. So if you can do something using a used widget for a dollar as opposed to buying a new widget for five dollars, you want to go with the used. It's, just, it's really more of a mental thing than anything else. I mean obviously when you when you're starting the business, you don't have maybe a lot of existing costs to cut. Uh, but you need to always stay in, in at the top of your mind how can I do this as cheaply as I humanly humanly can and our our next point is managing risk uh,
2: and you know with managing risk you know that's really you know could be a, a lot of different items but you know the first one is you know when you when you you start a business you know you 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 typically don't want to start your business in your own name you know you need to form some type of a you know, an LLC or corporation or something just, you know, so you're not personally on the hook for, you know, the, for the business and, you know, any
0: lawsuits and all those type of things that could pop up out there. Right. And, and then beyond that, in case a lawsuit or a problem ever does come up, you always want to have the necessary insurance, right? I mean, yep. you know, be, better than even than, than asset formation strategies is never having to go there by just having lots of insurance in the, in the case of a problem. So any, any, any successful startup should be coupled with probably with a, a visit to a, to a successful insurance agent to figure out, you know, what kind of insurance the business would need and in what quantity, and then perhaps bidding that around, going back to your, your cut, cut, cut side of your personality, making sure you pay as little as you can for that insurance. But, you know, insurance is a, is an, is a big item. And a third item would be just seeing in advance what the problems might be right I mean so if you're if you've got a business that you know part of your product is it's got a little, you know some little sharp corner, maybe rather than carrying the insurance for people who cut themselves on a sharp corner, maybe you should make the corner round uh, so a lot of times uh, a good startup is always trying to think you know what 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 could go wrong here, how can I minimize that? how can I have insurance, and if the insurance fails, how can I have a good you know asset formation structure so i think it's all important stuff you know one thing i saw once i was on a tour in south carolina with my wife and there was a big motto on the wall of a trader's house there in charleston south carolina it said it, the translation was "Anticipation anticipations is better than vengeance which basically means it's way better in life to see problems well well ahead so you can fix them rather than being mad and trying to get you know uh... you know retribution all the time um, our our last item is basically uh you know to always have an exit strategy and this one is hugely important and hugely underrated but in everything you do in life you know it's it's always your most successful strategy to have a good exit strategy and that means a way to get out of it you know just the same as if you're driving your car and say oh gosh you know if I had an accident right now you know how would i get out of my car well, it's the same thing with a startup business you know if you're Start a business doesn't work out like you want it, either economically or you just don't enjoy it. You want to have some kind of plan to get out of it, right? So you wouldn't want to have a business that, that, you know, you take on tons and tons of debt, and there's really no other buyer out there for the business. Let's say the business hinges on a special permit that only you are allowed to have and nobody else can have. I mean, that that's that's not normally a good recipe for success. You always want to have some way to push the eject button and get out if you if you want to.
2: Right, you know, when we're, you know, when we're out there buying properties, you know, you know, basically we have a, you know, we have our, you know, due diligence list of, you know, here here we have to, you know, check this out, check that out and 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 all that, but Basically on that list, you know, you know, we have it three or four times, you know, not only at the top of the list, but you know, in the middle and at the end of the list is, you know, how, you know, if we do go ahead and buy this property, you know, how, what is our exit strategy? Um, you know, if we're, if we're looking at a property that's say in a rural area and, you know, we know that most buyers out there don't like rural areas, then, you know, our exit strategy is, you know, only looking at buyers that like, uh, you know, rural areas, or that we'll go to those rural areas, or if we're buying a property that has private utilities. You know, you know, not every buyer wants private utilities, so that you know, cuts down our people. We can sell that you know that property to later on.
0: Right. I mean, it's uh, <clears throat> you know, you can't, as David's saying, you you just can't go through and and put you know, paint yourself in a corner by not having. Some form of exit. And what we do, and um, whenever we buy a property, our first thing we think about, as Dave is saying, is you know what's the exit strategy. You know how can we, if we, if this was a bad purchase, if we don't like it, if we see the market changing, how can we unload it? And when you take that, that kind of that wake up call, you, it'll also influence the amount of money you put into your startup and the commitments you make and the leases you sign, because all those things will add up into the negatory on your ability to exit. So. You just always want to be, you know, aware of, of those exit, exit plans. All right, well, let's go over just a few resources real quick that, uh, that you can, you know, if you've listened to the program for these last two parts and say, hey, you know, I really want to get more information on starting a business because it might work very well for me. And we have to be honest with you, we think for almost everybody listening in, that, that is a great idea because if it's nothing more than a, than a hobby thing that you do at night, you know, the the rewards are much, much greater than the effort and the risk, both financially and just spiritually from having something to entertain yourself and meeting friends and things like that. So what are some of the resources? One is a website that Dave and I started a while back called Start This, www.startthis.com. You know, it's something we basically did just out of our, our deep enthusiasm in starting a business. And so we wrote a book on there. The book is completely free. So if you go on that website, you can get a copy of the book and read it. We think it's the best business book ever written. Of course, we're completely uh, (laughs) impartial. Right. It's the best free one out there for sure. It it is the best free book. There is no question about that. That is totally true. Um, There's also a website called entrepreneur.com. You can go to their website, www.entrepreneur.com. They've got gazillions of articles and things on starting a business that you can – that you can get off of that, yeah
2: I mean I can i I go on that website and you know, I can get lost for hours just reading the you know thousands of articles and you know different ideas and blogs and everything on there
0: right i I've done the same um, and then there you know there's lots of articles if you just go to Google and Google and start up a business, you'll find lots of things there, there's lots of business biographies you can read i mean god knows i I go to estate sales all the time and buy all the business biography books. Uh, additionally, lots of business magazines out there that you can, you know, get at the bookstore and read there. So lots of different options to you. So if you want to explore this topic in in greater depth and greater detail, there's certainly many many options that are immediately available and most of them are free. So there's really no reason to hold back and not look into it. Uh, for for next week, we're going to be going over the uh, self-storage industry. <clears throat> that's another high-yield item that most people are either unaware of or don't fully uh, appreciate or spend enough time to learn about. But We're going to go over that next week's show on high-yield. But again, uh, we appreciate you all coming in this this week and last week for our our, uh, our symposium on starting a business, and we hope you learned a lot from that. And this is Frank Rolf and Dave Reynolds with High Yield, and we're signing off for this week, and see you next week.
1: Thanks again for tuning in to High Yield. Please join Frank and Dave next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great and profitable week.